1969 was a year of turmoil for America. Richard Nixon began his first term as president. The war in Southeast Asia was escalating. The hippie movement exploded at Woodstock. And for the first time in history, man walked on the moon. But with so many momentous events, it was also the perfect time to slip one past the American people. On September 13, 1969, CBS began the nationwide broadcast of a so-called children's cartoon, one that introduced dark stories of fraud, kidnapping, and even attempted murder, and one that would lead to the unlawful incarceration of more than 20 men. That program was Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Now, more than four decades later, a team of investigators believes it's time to set the record straight, and we're inviting you to join us. The Scooby-Doo Justice Project Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the nap podcast the, i wish it was the nap hosted podcast. by liz and samantha it's a podcast about how much we really want to take a nap right now i wish i was napping right now but i'm not that's how dedicated we are we've to this podcast somehow dragged ourselves to the microphones <laughs> to talk to you about unsolved mysteries perhaps your favorite show perhaps a show you're you've never watched and you're never going to you would die before you would watch that show <laughs> That would be very strong feelings to have if you were listening to this podcast. I don't know. Never watch that goddamn show. Not all of our listeners watch, and that's fine. We love you all. You really don't need to watch, I think. We give you a good rundown. Yeah, I know some people do, some people don't. It's fine either way. We embrace all of the five. Yeah, we're not trying to tell you how to live your life. No. No, not at all. Anyway, this is the Perhaps It's You podcast. Oh, yeah, that's what it actually is. We're unofficial, (laughs) if you couldn't tell. Unsolved (laughs) Mysteries rewatch podcast. Guess what? It's not the Nap podcast, you guys. Guess what? This is not endorsed by Unsolved Mysteries. No, not at all. I was just thinking the other day that they've probably watched or listened to at least one of our episodes. Oh, definitely. To see if they should send us, us a cease and desist letter or not. We haven't gotten one, so we must be doing fine. Where they're like, oh, they so carefully don't play the song, don't play any of the show, keep cl- pointing out how unofficial they are. There's nothing we can do. If only we could stop them. You think we're the bane of their existence? I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but yes. Every night they shake their fists in the air. <laughs> no, perhaps and curse their you. inability to sue the Perhaps It's You podcast. No, for, they're probably for great our people. Handful of Patreon dollars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which thank you. We've gotten a lot of patrons lately. So I don't know yeah, what happened. Shout out to all of you, but thank you all. You've made a foolish financial decision, and God bless you. You're the we best. We love it. I hope you are enjoying your bonus patreon episodes for those of you who aren't patrons you got a bonus episode last week we released our uh beyond belief fact or fiction episode to everyone as a little treat i hope it enticed you to perhaps become a member you know that myth that if you're a child of the 80s perhaps you were told that drug dealers would give you drugs for free to get you addicted you know then you would you know be a customer for life turns out that's super false because people want drugs yeah <laughs> they don't have to trick give you. that away for free no, drugs cost money <laughs> uh in some cases lots of money drug dealers do not give them out for free no. but that's what we did we gave you a little taste it's the gateway the, drug to our patreon, patreon episodes you can see what you're missing and you keep coming back now we got you hooked yes and that was 
we thought it was appropriate to release because it's very unsolved mysteries adjacent. Yes. Beyond belief factor fiction. Yes. And we had so much fun making it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. That's the kind of stuff you get as a bonus every month. Yeah. We give you a little welcome postcard. At the moment, you get some stickers. Mm-hmm. And you also get another episode of us cackling. What, Which, more, what more could you possibly want? Exactly. Speaking of our Patreon bonus episodes, go to our Patreon page. If you're a patron, you can vote for our August episode. The choices are... Ooh, okay. Ghost Adventures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh. It's a very eclectic mix. Okay. I like it. In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy. Oh. Nimoy. Why couldn't I say that? And Evil Genius, the Netflix show. Okay. So it's very unusual mix. I, those are all very solid suggestions, though. Yeah. These were all suggestions that, that patrons and others submitted. You can go to our Patreon page. If you're a patron, you can vote. Anyone can go and submit suggestions. There's two different Google forms. Um, but obviously, only patrons can vote and watch the episode that we release. Uh, listen to the episode we release. Um, so yeah, go do that. Vote for what you would like us to cover in August. Do you know what we're doing this month, everyone? Did you hear? We can't stop talking about it, so I'm sure they have. We're doing Kitchen Nightmares, Amy's Baking Company. I'm so excited. It has a lot to do with Unsolved Mysteries. So much to do with Unsolved Mysteries. And a lot to do with Samantha's lust. For Gordon Ramsay. Yes. Have you watched the new Kitchen Nightmares? The one where he has to do it in 24 hours? He is hot as ever. The man, I I swear to God, he he bathes in the blood of innocence. I don't know how he still looks so good. He's amazing. He got his chin filled in, I know. Yes. So maybe that's part of it. He's looking great, though. It's hot as ever. Maybe not the blood of innocence. Maybe a really good dentist. Yeah. Dentist. (laughs) Let's just in air quotes. (laughs) For those of you not watching. That's fine. Oh, my God. I love Gordon Ramsay. I'm really excited to do that episode. I'm very excited to watch it with you and hear your sighs of desire. (laughs) That sounds... No, I'm I, I'm standing by that. I'm excited about it. <laughs> okay, well, as long as you're looking forward to it. <laughs> it's um, going to be a window into Samantha's world. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can look forward to it. Yes. Any any donation will get you those episodes, bonus episodes each month. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great deal. It We're really all about is. a bargain here at Perhaps It's <laughs> And you. That if you've listened for a while, you know that's true. Yes. So I don't have a lot of updates, but I do have two people I want to mention because we have gotten some amazing fan yeah, art Yeah, that was this my week. only update as well. So go ahead. Oh, my God. Go to our social media. You will see, one, the Porpoise of Justice. This illustration is like, It's mwah. amazing. It's, it's so, so good. I love the magnifying glass. I love the hat. I just love the like the ocean. composition. Yeah, it's it's. It's incredible. It's so good. So go to our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our Twitter, our Instagram. We posted these everywhere because we're so excited about them. Um, Amazing. And then also Bigfoot as a ghost. Oh, my God. Bigfoot as a ghost. It is a ghost Bigfoot holding like fake feet to make (laughs) footprints. And then two people below with cameras are like, oh, my God. And like. Bigfoot is tricking them, and then it says everything is possible, like a rainbow, and... It's just everything. It's on Society6. You can get it as anything. You could get it as a shower curtain, which you totally should. A cutting board, like, art, coasters, you know, all that junk. It's pretty incredible. Amazing. And I don't think we talked about the Lost Love t-shirt. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God, you guys. I hope you're ready to just give all your money away, because someone also 
made a lot the same person i believe amanda, amanda yes who made the purpose of justice art also made liz's request of a lost loves t-shirt and you can get both of those items on society six yeah i already ordered a t-shirt a lost i did loves. too it's perfect. It's like the the script, the Unsolved Mysteries font. And it says, perhaps it's you podcast, and then Lost Loves. Yeah, it's amazing. You know how I just like demand stuff, and then it shows up? Because <laughs> guys- I'm like a tiny podcast dictator, <laughs> where I'm like, I want a Wolfgang von Snowden, and it just comes in the mail. <laughs> I want more cheesies. Liz is drunk with power, you guys. Yeah, the power I have over the five, it's, oof, it's intoxicating. Yeah, all of these art. It's, pieces are available on society I six we've cry. linked them on our social media They're so, so go get some stickers go get a coffee mug with bigfoot as a ghost on it Maybe go get we'll a lost loves t-shirt remember to put this in our show notes so people can yes i will put the links easily. to society six in the show notes so you guys can find it. it's hard you can't link on instagram so yeah that's that sucks annoying. so but you can go there to see them yeah they're amazing you guys seriously it's so much work and we we feel that love it's like, a, it's like a hug. I, who would do such a thing? I have no idea. And it's amazing to me that something dumb that I said, like the porpoise of justice, or is Bigfoot a ghost? Is, the porpoise of justice is like catching on. It is, and I absolutely love it. Because it, <laughs> it's adorable. I'm looking at two porpoises <laughs> of justice right now that we have on top of some like good luck candles I got for the <laughs> podcast, which I, I always mean to light while we're recording and I never remember, but now I can't because they're the homes of the porpoises, two of different porpoises. <laughs> There's man sentences I never thought I would say, but this is a weird life we're living. Wolfgang von Snowden staring right in, at me. He's sitting next to, is that, is yours Bumpy the Kid? Mine is Bumpy the Kid and yours is Sheriff Baggett. <laughs> The aliens. The, the aliens wearing trench coats. Makes, oh my god. Makes sense. I mean, it, everything about this podcast makes perfect sense. Yes. Perfect sense. That's all I have for you. Oh, I was going to say that, yes, we mispronounced Jonathan Frake's name. Sometimes we did. Sometimes we didn't. Whatever. I, mostly, I think it was me adding an N to his name. Yeah, maybe. Jonathan Frank. I was acting like it was both didn't, of us. Didn't we mispronounce something else, too? Probably. I don't remember what it was now. It seems like we mispronounce something in every episode. Oh, we mispronounced a town in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. It's worse, worser and it's spelled like Worcester. Look, I, I don't know. Don't spell your town names weird and then people won't mispronounce them. I don't, don't know name them af- Don't name your town after a condiment and then be like, uh, no, it's this. Although there are a lot of towns in Minnesota that are easy to mispronounce. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just ask your GPS to pronounce the town Matamidi and... <laughs> hilarity ensues so i guess i can't really speak no, for we're weird spellings of terms and we're just things being that are jerks hard to because yeah i don't know this is not a podcast where we're gonna get everything right yeah, <laughs> this is not a podcast not. not a podcast by experts if you Accurate need to listen to a podcast about linguistics you should be listening to the vocal fries that's true not this you'll learn a lot you're gonna learn very little from this <laughs> so <laughs> But welcome. 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 We're on season two, episode 14, 14. if you can believe it or not, which I kind of not for me. We're kind of flying through season two, actually. I know. Which I'm happy about because so far this season sucks. What if it gets only worse? Don't we have the UFO? No, the um, crop circles episode coming up? We do have the crop circles coming up. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. That might, oh, I don't, that might be next. Maybe not. Don't quote me on that. But it's coming. This episode actually wasn't terrible. No, this is, I, I think. actually think this one's pretty good. Yeah. For all your moaning and groaning. 
Well. It's fine. <laughs> All right, who goes first? You? Yes, I do. I have a wanted. And this is a scary case. Yes. Uh, this is like a little bit of a worst nightmare scenario. Robert Stack starts, he's in his trench coat, of course, mm-hmm. on the broad daylight road. And tells you that half of violent crimes are committed by complete strangers. I do not think that is true. No. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I at don't all. know where that information came from, and I realize that I'm not an expert, but I'm very sure most crimes are committed by people you know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Robert Stack didn't cite his sources on that one, so not uh, really sure. There's a little fear mongering going on yeah. in some mysteries in this episode. I was like, I just wrote down, like, wait, what? But did I really like look into it further? No, of I course guess I didn't. Cri- like crime rates used to be higher, but that's true. I don't. I think even then, usually, yeah, I don't know. It, I th- I feel like that's something that is good to talk about because we have so much more information now right. that it might seem like crime is high when actually it's pretty low. Yes, and. There's at least a theory that dry, violent crime has dropped significantly because we've stopped using leaded gasoline. Oh, I've which never I heard of that. Find interesting. That's super interesting. Well, think about how many serial killers were running around in the seventies. I mean, yeah, yikes. What do you think of the theory that was put forth on last podcast on the left that we have less serial killers now because we have an increase in mass shooters? That it's harder to be a serial killer. So that aggression has now been sort of channeled in a different direction. I don't know. I've it heard... seems like a very different crime to me. That is how I feel about it. And it's so different. The outcomes are so different. In a mass shooting, most of the time you're going to die yourself. Right. And that you're really not trying wasn't to get away with it. Case with serial killers. Right. There's also aspects of sexuality. You know, when it comes to most of the serial killers, there was sexual sure. aspects to a lot of their crimes. So I have a hard time correlating the two. I thought it was an interesting idea, but I don't. I don't really see it myself. The part I agree with is that I do think it's harder to be a serial killer today. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I don't know that that means that they're turning to mass murder. Right. Necessarily, I think we have to examine. Our gun culture. I think we have to examine our toxic masculinity, mental have, health resources. Yeah, when and, we talk about yeah. mass shootings. I also feel like we shouldn't be naming mass shooters. Yeah. Which, by name. which I mean, like, yeah, saying their names, because I think in some cases that notoriety is desirable. Yep. So just something to think about. Anyway, right. if you have thoughts on whether or not people that would be serial killers are now mass shooters, but yeah, it's fascinating to sort of contemplate because we don't have so many serial killers these days. And it seems like we had so many in the 70s. If you start looking into something, particularly that took place in like the Pacific Northwest or California in the 70s, it was like so many. Well, it was hard to know which serial killer was doing this because there were so many active in the area. And you're like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. I feel like it's probably not a situation with one cause and effect. True. Like you would have to look at and that's why it's sort of hard to get a grasp on it. Also, oh, really? we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so that's another issue. Ah, uh, whole separate issue. This is a pure speculation moment. Anyway, yep. whoa. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> we are talking about a case from August 22nd, 1988. Uh, the... Victim in this case did not want to be identified, so Unsolved Mysteries refers to her as Carol, which Robert Stack says so seriously for reasons I don't, <laughs> it's like, 
which we will refer to her as Carol. I was like, all right. <laughs> it's fine. That's fine. Refer with- to her as whatever. Okay. You, I mean, you don't have to tell me. You could just say her name was Carol, and I would never know you made that up <laughs> also. Whatever. So, um, Carol, wink, wink, was driving along Brayman Hollow Road, which was a two-way highway in near Putnam, Connecticut. She had a job at a local mental hospital. Uh, she was going to work, and she was running about 30 minutes late. So she sort of feels like she ended up being in the wrong place at the wrong time because she was a little bit out of her usual routine. As she is driving, she comes upon a black pickup truck that is driving slowly and erratically in front of her. As she follows the truck, it would speed up and slow down and just was like acting odd. And would sometimes go over the center line within inches of hitting other cars. And she had sort of a bad feeling about it, but not like... I don't know. Like, she was in any imminent danger. Right. She was just sort of like, what's up with this jackass driver? Right. Right. I'm sure we've all had those moments. Then, abruptly, the car stops in the middle of the road, and before she can realize what is happening, the driver gets out, pulls out a gun, and shoots Carol in the face. Yeah. Through her window. Terrifying. They find out later that he was only 10 feet away from her. Like, it's a very close shot, literally to the face and then he just gets back in the truck and drives away mm-hmm. leaving her to in die. her vehicle to yeah to die she's like slumped over onto the passenger seat she at first assumes that she's going to die she can't really move she can't get up to call for help other passing cars can't see her because she's slumped over mm-hmm. so they're just sort of like driving around this car going why is this car parked in the middle of the road and it isn't until a guy in a like utility vehicle who's higher up drives past and sees into her car that he realizes there's a problem he immediately contacts the authorities and then police and ambulance are on the scene i will say since i know i complain sometimes that i feel like the cops handle this case really well yeah, I think so, too. They treated it as a as a homicide right from the beginning, even though she was alive. Um, it looked like it sounded like they secured the scene. They took her seriously. And no I, point in the thing did they do any victim blaming. No. And one of the officers jumped in the ambulance with her because he was terrified that they were, she was going to die before she could say yes. who did this to her. And it literally had her blink once for yes, twice for no. They got a statement from her from Blink's. In the ambulance. A fairly detailed one, too. On the way to the hospital so that they knew that she did not know her attacker, that he was driving a black pickup truck, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they had all the information they needed to put out an APB or whatever it is they do um, before she went to the hospital for surgery and whatever. She did live. She is featured in the segment. They weren't able to remove the bullet, so it's, like, lodged in her neck by her spine which is the reason they didn't want to remove it at least at the time they didn't want to risk surgery by her spine to remove the bullet so it's sort of stuck in there as a reminder which it's just really unfortunate the thing is though this is unsolved yeah i don't they never it's terrifying they never catch him so there were some other reports of a black vehicle acting suspiciously in the area, like trying to run people off the road and stuff. And just like pulling on and off 
the road slowly and holding everyone up. It was weird. Like, I, you would almost think that this was a road rage incident, except it doesn't really sound like Carol did anything. And at no point did the cops say, like, she shouldn't have done this or she should have done that. Like, it's... They made a point to say this appears to be totally random. random. Um, obviously, they were concerned because this seemed like something that would happen again. And they said, look, this is probably someone who's still going about their normal routine. They're still going to work. They're still, like... Mm-hmm. doing whatever they just shot a woman in the face and drove away yeah but we never find out who it is um carol mostly recovers she has some permanent damage to a vocal cord they c- couldn't operate on remove the bullet but i think she's otherwise fine she will have those scars to always like remember that what she seemed concerned about i just want to point out to anyone worried about the scars are cool hell yeah I got shot in the face and I lived. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Like, I realize she doesn't want to remember the incident, but... Super traumatic, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get that. But just in case you're feeling insecure about some scars, no. Scars make your body more interesting. Scars are cool. If you have a big scar on your face, everybody's going to assume you got some, like, wicked knife fight. Like, (laughs) just own it. Just work that. Yes. We give such good advice on this podcast. Yes. Did you know that Tina... So Tina Fey has a scar on her face. And that is because as a child, she was playing in the yard and a man just came up with a knife and cut her face. What? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's terrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. Yikes. Speaking of random stranger violence. Yikes. Yeah, the spookiest thing about this is that when the cops said, she just happened to be the person that was driving behind him. Yeah. It could have been anyone. It literally could have been anyone. literally was just waiting... To stop and shoot someone. It seems no like this reason. person is very unwell and yeah. was just looking to either antagonize other drivers or what is just is completely irrational. I'm not sure. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And yeah, literally, who knows? Because they never found this person. They put out a description of the vehicle, but there were 300,000 trucks in the area that fit this yeah. description. They just knew it was like a dude. Like they have a composite spe- sketch here. It is not the worst sketch we've no, seen, not just, by far. It but looks it's just, like any random. It's just some dude. random white yeah. guy with kind of curly hair. Like yeah, I that don't could know. be anyone. It I sucks mean, that she never got justice. Really, it. But it's really fortunate that she survived. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a miracle. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't call this a miracle segment <laughs> because if someone shoots you from ten feet away in the face, like, and you survive, that's amazing. Your odds aren't good, man. But. Yeah, that's it. It's it's scary, but sadly, because we don't know who did it, there's not a ton to the mystery. Nope. All right. So, I don't know. Be be careful on Bramon Hollow Road, I guess. I guess. If he's still out there. He's probably, he's prob- he's probably dead. Probably. And so. we're all better for it. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Good. Glad you're dead, Bramon Hollow Road dude. <laughs> so they call the next one the investigators yeah i saw that too but it's what? really a lost love so i don't know they're I like assumed- no 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 we don't we're not putting in another lost love this is when we profile investigators and you go when do you ever do that i kind of assumed when they called this the investigators that it was going to be like a cute story about an investigator who works for their show which was like looking awesome. was like looking for their last love it's not i mean they do look anyway we'll get to it but i would love a like that'd be so cute this is diana she works in the call center today we reunite her with her half sibling how fucking cute would that be it'd be so great that's not what this is though. and she's wearing a just sweat sweatshirt 
<laughs> and some four ninety nine bike shorts. That would be even better. Everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, go listen to some past shows. Catch up. Catch okay. up. So this segment opens with black and white footage of American GIs coming home from World War II. We see the Jubilee Spirit, a large ship pulling up to the dock. It's filled with soldiers. Families and loved ones are crowded to meet them. Everyone is cheering and waving. We see uh, the famous footage of the ticker tape parades and the images you're probably familiar with of sailors grabbing women in the street and kissing them. Forcing them to kiss them. Yeah. So it's not as romantic as you might think. It was very unromantic in hindsight. Yeah. That famous picture of that nurse like being assaulted bent over against her will oh no yeah i have a husband too bad yeah i'm a hero <laughs> i assume he probably had terrible breath i bet yeah. i bet so rap- <laughs> oh my god we're gonna get accused of being unpatriotic again oh uh, well <laughs> so robert tech is narrating talking about how between may and september of 1945 soldiers returned triumphant from world war ii One of these returning soldiers was Lieutenant Ray Hickenbotham, who was a decorated I'm not going to make fun of that name. I'm not going to make fun of that name. And I'm not going to make fun of that name. Hickenbotham. Nope. So we see some adorable reenactments of Ray pushing his little daughter in a toy car. Super cute. They go and play on the playground. She's wearing like a little sailor suit. Oh my gosh. Because it's the past. She's adorable. So after the war, Ray settled down with his wife, Dorothy, and their three-year-old daughter, Carol, at Vint Hill Farm Army Station, just outside of Arlington, Virginia. We see the sweetest old black and white photo of the family. It's super adorable. Dorothy had kick-ass hair. Oh my god, yes. Real life Dorothy and reenactment Dorothy. Yeah, they had. she has the victory rolls going on, which was a very popular style at the time that Mm -hmm. i will never be able to master but (laughs) i just love yeah so good it's very impressive so then we meet present day carol who says that she remembers a magical summer where for the first time she had her dad at home and she remembers lots of fun family time spent together but then cue the ominous music and black and white footage of stalin Robert Stack says that the jubilant mood quickly faded and, quote, Stalin and communist Russia, our valiant allies in 1945, were our deadly enemies by 1947. Robert Stack just wants to remind you that people don't like Stalin. Did you forget that? Oh, yes. (laughs) They literally kind of have this ominous music playing in the background and we just slowly fade to this footage of communist Russia. You know what's bad? Stalin. Yeah, it's practically propaganda. And then I was like... It's all right. No one likes Stalin. Yeah. It's okay. We get it. Uh, Ray was in army intelligence, so he was very busy during this time. There was a top secret radio station at Vent Hill Farm Army Station. It is believed that Ray commanded a group of expert code breakers who monitored communications from behind the Iron Curtain. What is that based on, though? That uh, idea that that's what he did? I have no clue. Okay. It just says, that's in the show they said, it is believed that Ray... Was a part of this group. Yeah, it's not and really I just clear kind of if anyone wondered, even knows. Yeah, because I feel like his work was top secret, and that's part of the problem. So I guess they're just guessing that's probably what he would have had the clearance to do. I guess maybe that's all that was going on at this Vent Hill station. I'm not really okay, sure. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I honestly have no idea. John Stockwell, who is listed as a former CIA operative, is interviewed for the show, and he tells us that this kind of work was quote a good ulcer job. Which is hilarious because you are sitting at a desk, you can't get up. Such it's an boring. uncle way of talking. I know. Uh, and we see a reenactment 
there is this it's the shot of a tiny dark probably super hot room it's packed with men sitting at little desks they're chain smoking and just like listening to headphones and crumpling up papers as they yes. fail to break oh that's not the code you have like the commander walking slowly through the yeah, tiny just room like just like watching them over their listen to headphones yeah. he's keeping them all on task there, we had a lot of close-up shots of them like wiping sweat off their brows it looked pretty awful that guy was a real micromanager you could tell oh yeah you could tell <laughs> So the CIA was <laughs> the CIA micromanager. The CIA was created a year later and it absorbed the group of code breakers that were working at Vint Hill Farm. Ray worked long hard hours. So we he wasn't able to spend time with his family anymore and we see a reenactment of Dorothy and Carol at the dinner table alone and I bring this up only because of reenactment Dorothy's amazing hairdo. Yeah, no, it's killer. That I shot love it. Especially her hair is looking great. If okay, if I was fabulously wealthy, I really would l- love to have someone come do my hair every day. Just and you would pick this hairstyle, possibly. I mean, you could change it up every day. I guess it I guess. wouldn't matter. I just I hate doing my hair, but oh, it's the worst. But do I wish I looked like Dorothy? Hell yeah! Doing your hair, especially in the summertime, sucks. Like yeah. yesterday, did I wash my hair, blow dry it, and straighten it? And then today, it's hot as fuck out, and it all just went to crap. And that was all. No, my hair is just a humid mess, and I'm just going to leave it that way. I don't know why I even bother trying. It's for me, isn't it? Duh. (laughs) I have to look my best when we come record this podcast. It's for the listeners. They can't see you, but they can can hear the confidence in your voice. They can tell. So, in the summer of 1947, Ray was transferred to another top-secret group at Arlington Hall Intelligence Station. He did not tell his wife about the new assignment. Tisk, 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 Ray. I don't know how we know this, but... Yeah. there's. I can't tell what level is speculation and what level is someone's told them that. I have no idea. We'll learn it later that Carol, in her search for her father, like, submitted a Freedom of Information Act type that's request true. for a bunch of information so some of, it so some of this could have came from that but we don't really know what's speculation and what's verified so at this time ray became withdrawn and tense he didn't want to interact with his family and carol says that her mother started to worry about him as it got worse and worse and then we see this very weird reenactment where ray is reading the paper in their living room next to dorothy and carol and dorothy literally just wants to show him something cute that their daughter is doing and ray is like dorothy i don't want to drag you into my problems at work she was like first of all i didn't ask about that second of all can you just acknowledge your child for five seconds pretty much and then he just gets up and storms away yeah he's he's angry the weight of the cold war is pressing down on his shoulders this is why therapy is great everyone (laughs) You don't have to be like this. Yeah. You can work these problems out and not take them out on your family and make that it seem like you do not care about them at all. Right. Which is how this reenactment might because you go, oh, he doesn't care about his family. Yep. And that's probably how it was. Yeah. Uh, one day, Dorothy took Carol for a two-week visit to her parents' house. When she tried to phone Ray at their Vent Hill apartment, she was giving the surprising news that Ray had gone on leave. Yeah, this is... A nightmare. This is very strange. So then, while Dorothy and Carol were still with her parents, a moving crew showed up at their apartment and took everything out. Dorothy's downstairs neighbor called Dorothy and was like, uh, what the fuck, Dorothy? There are people here from the government <laughs> packing up all your shit and taking it away. Can you imagine? It's That's terrifying. Yeah, and she's helpless to do anything. She doesn't know what's going on. She hasn't... She never hears from her husband to, like, give no. her the heads up. All of a sudden, the army just shows up and takes all their shit. Yeah. It's weird. 
Uh, so yeah, we see a reenactment of an army guy is putting everything into a military like, vehicle. Oh, move that chair in there. I know. And we even see one guy like pick up Carol's toy car that we saw at the beginning of the segment and toss it in as well. Yeah, that's true. They right. did bring that together. It, yeah, it kind of tied everything up. It was a nice cohesive yeah thing. Uh, Robert Stack says that they did all of this without a word of explanation to Dorothy. A few weeks later, a moving truck showed up at Dorothy's parents' house and unloaded all of Dorothy and Carol's possessions, but not a single item belonging to Ray. They had, like, edited him out of her life. First of all, she never said she wanted to move in with her parents. No. She was just visiting, and then all of a sudden, all of her possessions show up. Like, bye, by the way, your apartment's gone. So bonkers. Also, there's, like, no evidence you have a husband. Carol said there wasn't a letter, there wasn't a scrap of paper, there was literally nothing of Ray's. There wasn't even any indication that it's he ever existed. It's so creepy. It's super So I'm creepy. assuming like their wedding photos are gone and like... Maybe. They didn't specifically say that, but I wonder if they took all if of they their... Take letters, they take letters. They took a scissors and just cut him out of every so photo. So she's just standing there in a wedding dress like with a cake <laughs> and he's she's just like by herself. <laughs> Maybe. That's so scary. So present day Carol says it was as though he had been purged from their lives. It's Which so is such weird. a scary phrase. A month later, a man claiming to be from the, the army showed up. We see a reenactment of Dorothy and the army guy drinking tea out of an adorable tea set at her parents' <laughs> kitchen table. He says that on October 14th, 1947, Ray was listed as AWOL. 30 days later, he was dropped from the military roles and classified as a deserter. So not sure if this is how the actual conversation went, but the reenactment definitely makes it seem like there's more going on. So Dorothy asks, how did you know my husband? And the army dude takes a dramatic drink from his teacup, clearly not wanting to answer. (laughs) Dorothy says, well, if you knew my husband, you would know that he could never be classified as a deserter. Now, I want to know what is really going on here. And the army dude says, I wish I could tell you, but I'm really not at liberty to discuss the matter further. Yeah, I mean, that you might as well just say... And there's a conspiracy here. But I'm not going to tell you about it. That's really in, what it made it sound like. Yeah. Look into it, except don't. Right. Because you can't. Because the army will get you. Exactly. And who knows if this is actually how the conversation went. Um, but then the guy tells Dorothy that because Ray was classified as a deserter, her and her daughter lost all of their military benefits. Yeah, they're screwed now. It's horrible. She has... I, I don't think she has a job. I think she no. just took care of took care of Carol. Which would have They're been with their parents. the standard at the time. It's awful. Yeah. She's lost her source of income. She's lost, like, her health benefits and the pension and everything. Yep. And also, where the hell is her husband? Yeah. And, yeah. I know. It's crazy. So Dorothy later tried to get in touch with the mysterious visitor, but the army denied ever even hearing of the man. Which, of course, they did. So the same CIA guy comes back and is like, yeah, weird shit like that happened all the time. People died and loved ones were either not told that they died or not told how they died. I totally believe that. Yeah. it's. I just don't understand why, though. Because they don't want to admit what's going on. I guess. It's just like, it's not like he was, maybe he was overseas, but it seems like he was just at an army base doing this code breaking. I don't know. It's, it's so weird to me. Like, what could have happened and why would they not tell her? It's what's unfortunate is that this woman gets totally screwed. That's the yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. So this story gets a little bizarre at this point. Dorothy and Carol <laughs> struggled to make ends meet. Carol grew up married and moved to Oklahoma, where she became a private investigator. 
No doubt driven to this career by her search for her father, she specializes in reuniting lost families. Carol has hundreds of grateful clients, but her dream is to one day find her lost family member. Yeah, and that seems pretty cool. They showed a reenactment of her reuniting some people. Yeah, you see her cute little office with her ancient computer. No, So adorable. Go, Carol, go. So after the Freedom of Information Act was passed, Carol used it to request documents relating to her father. When she finally received the information, a picture began to emerge of a man who was very special, highly trained, and performing at the top level. Top. Of the military. Men. Yeah. Carol found it strange that there appeared to have been no investigation into the disappearance of her father at all. She thought it was weird that a highly trained and skilled officer could go missing and no one would even look for him. Yeah, that is pretty weird. Yeah. So Carol finally got fed up with fighting through red tape and went to the media. Three hours after an article ran in the local Arlington newspaper, Carol received a phone call that I am positive is bogus as fuck, but here, I'll tell you about it. (laughs) You don't believe Archangel? (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so that's the first thing I wrote, is that the man identified himself with the codename Archangel? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like someone from the X-Men got it. Oh my god. He said that he was using a car phone so as not to reveal his exact location. He told Carol that her article had really rattled cages at the CAA. He went on to say that there have been sensitive leaks in the atomic energy area and that her father had been investigating those leaks. According mm-hmm. to Archangel, in 1947, <laughs> an attempt mm-hmm. was made on his life, her father's life. A superior decided to, quote, bury her father. The caller claimed that alive For years and years, Ray lived just three miles from Carol and her mother, hidden by the government. So I just wrote down none of this is true. First of all, if <laughs> Ray's life was in such grave danger, why would they hide him in the same place where he lived? Yeah, that makes no sense. That's and not good hiding. If the lives, if his life was in danger, wouldn't the lives of his family be in danger? And they did nothing to protect them. Well, that part I might believe. But why would you hide him three miles away from where people would be looking for him? Yeah, that makes that no, makes no sense. sense. Whatever. Anyway, the caller cryptically told Carol that today, Ray lives in a, quote, NATO country where there are high mountains, crystal clear lakes, and a long time democracy. The idea of a crystal clear lake being a clue is the dumbest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we call this episode crystal clear lakes? <laughs> yeah, it's really dumb. No, it's dumb. There's no resolution to this case. I don't believe she ever got any more information. She was kind of trying to like decode this message, but I think she eventually decided that it was nothing. Um, Yeah, and chances are her father was long dead, unfortunately. It's just a, it's so weird. It gives you the impression that he didn't really care about his family. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's true or not either. If he was just really preoccupied or if he was scared because he thought the government was going to did he have then, some post-traumatic stress issues? He very well probably, could've. maybe. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that this episode really paints that great of a picture of what the situation was actually like. Carol was very young it's when so all this went down. So hard to know. So I mean, I, I don't flat know. out do not trust the CIA, but uh, yeah, because what do they do? We don't know. Yeah. No one knows except them. Also, this is just so bizarre. The whole the way this all went down. I really hate the idea of getting a phone call that the army is packing up all your shit with no notice or warning. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it shows up, but everything is there except your husband's stuff. Which means it went through all missing. your stuff. Yeah. And you never hear from him again. No explanation This is presumably whatsoever. someone she loved. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so odd and terrible. This one is very mysterious. 
Yes. And who knows? High mysterious factor. Who knows what happened? Yeah. I don't like it at all. No. Poor Carol. Poor real Carol, not anonymous Carol. What a confusing episode. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot of Poor anonymous Carol, too, but that's just not who I was one. talking about. Jeez Louise. All right. We got another one. All right. We have an unexplained death, which is it's kind of a wanted, isn't it? Whatever. I don't always understand. These. <laughs> How they name these? The investigators. The investigators. This takes place in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the death of Karen Kevin Hughes. <laughs> not Karen Hughes. No. If that person also died, I'm sorry, but that's not who we're talking about. <laughs> this took place March 9th, 1989. So we get some establishing shots of Nashville. We get reminded that it's a center for music where people go to pursue their dreams. They spend all their life savings to get there and try to make it in the music business. The country music business, specifically. Yes. They make a point a of telling us that. I know nothing about at all. <laughs> we see the Grand Ole Opry, I think. Do that's we? A, that's okay. A that's a famous thing. Yeah. I assume Dolly Parton sang there once. I believe she did. So people are like, once? I don't know. <laughs> I literally do not know. Several times. There's a, anything about country music. There is a drunk history episode about Dolly Parton and the guy who I think started the Grand Ole Opry. Okay. And I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember that those two things are in it and it was very good. All I know about country music is that Dolly Parton is a hero. I would salute Dolly she Parton. Is. Yeah. She has put so much money into her local community and helped out people who's they've like lost houses from natural disasters and stuff she's amazing and she's also just a badass kick-ass woman yeah she's great so that's my idea of patriotism is dolly pardon (laughs) she is a patriot and i appreciate and i appreciate her so there's some de facto (laughs) patriotism (laughs) that i'm like hell yeah dolly pardon anyway whoa what I told you I needed a nap. (laughs) I warned y'all. Okay, so 23-year-old Kevin Hughes was the chart director for Cashbox Magazine in Nashville. This chart thing is the craziest. So this is, again, you got to think back in the day. Right. Music charts used to be a huge deal. I mean, they still are, but back then you didn't have computers to do all the work for you. So it was literally one guy in an office counting. Yeah, he had to get reports for record sales from all over the country and then compile them into the charts of who was the best sellers of the week. I don't know that music charts are such a big deal anymore because music sales are just not what they were. And that's true. You're listening to stuff online. There's all these different sources, but it used to be singles bought and sold that is what determined success in music and determined you know if people were going to be on tv and there's there's like a make or break career situation so kevin had this job that he was very happy about and excited about is the chart director for this magazine he apparently put in tons of extra hours tons of work we see his mom talking about how he was a kid. He would, like, make his own charts. So cute. And stuff, because he was always so into music. It's just, like... She drove him 40 miles so he could get Billboard magazine. Yeah. People who were into this stuff... you If you have a hobby now, great. That's great. And I'm happy you have that in your life. Being into stuff used to be hard. What a good mom! I know. To drive what him a 40 good mom. miles oh one my way God. so that he could get, get a magazine. Billboard magazine. <laughs> so cute. Like... I know. Yeah. Oh. So it used to be hard to get information, folks. You just <laughs> had to be really dedicated. Now it's just... Uh, every, uh, anyway, why am I ranting? I just can't help it. 
<sighs> so he would get the different playlist reports from the radio stations, and based on these, he would he would rank one to hundred, right? And according to his boss and coworkers, he was very dedicated. People make a point of saying what a good Christian he was. He was just a great guy. So it was Thursday night. He was working late on the newest charts when his friend, aspiring singer and songwriter, Sammy Sadler, stopped by. At approximately 8.30, they left the office to go to a nearby restaurant for dinner. After dinner, they made an unplanned stop at Sammy's work, which was Evergreen Records, because he was going to use the phone to call his mom. (laughs) I know. So cute. Are we going to talk about these mullets? Yeah. Oh, my God. They both have mullets. They are quite the impressive mullets. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, someone had suggested we start doing a most valuable mullet as an addition to most valuable mustache. I don't even, how would we choose? They both go on forever. Yeah. I can't even quite describe it. It's, I mean, it's something. A little after this, it's not uncommon. Sort of everyone had a, a little bit of a mullet. Go watch some Seinfeld and see how long <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's hair is in the back. At the time, that was not considered a mullet. That was just hair. <laughs> Okay. These are like full on intentional mullets. Oh, yeah. I think that was a requirement to be in the country music probably. business back then. What I know, no. But probably you got to the like city limits of Nashville, you didn't have a mullet, and they just kicked you out. It's a turnaround. Check, checkpoints. Mullet checkpoints. Yeah. Isn't that how it works? No? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure someone will tell me how wrong I am. Uh, okay. So while Sammy is calling his mom, his mama on the phone, there's a rattle at the door. Mm-hmm. Kevin mm-hmm. goes to check it, but he doesn't really see the person that rattled it. And he comes back and he goes, I think that guy was black, but I don't know. All right. Okay. Is that noteworthy in some way? Black guy tried to use a door? <laughs> All right. But they do emphasize he doesn't know that for sure. Does that make it less racist? I don't know. <laughs> a guy tried to no. use the door. Also, in the reenactment, he was walking away. Yeah. He was walking away. He had like long sleeves, long pants on. Possibly like a hood. Yeah, you couldn't tell what race this person was. He's like, well, he might have been black. He might have been a lot of things. Or it might have been a ghost. Maybe he didn't exist. Maybe it might have been a ghost. Maybe it was Bigfoot. Who knows? Uh, A few minutes later, the two of them left Evergreen Records. They looked for this unknown black door trier, didn't see him. So they walked to Kevin's door. I will say, what was Kevin's friend's name? Sammy. Sammy. He did seem like he wasn't that concerned about it. He made a specific point of saying, like, you know how some people get a gut feeling? Like, when there's danger approaching? I didn't have that. I just felt yeah, like it was true. completely normal. I was with someone else. I was in somewhere I felt comfortable. I don't even think it's that late. Yeah. it was. They're like, just going to their car outside like of his work. 8 p.m. He was like, yeah, I had no... I didn't think I should run. Like, I wasn't scared at all. It does seem like they looked around for this unknown black guy, but they didn't really feel uneasy. Right. So, there's something, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so they get in the car, and they're immediately shot. Yeah. Um, so they get into Kevin's car. An unknown gunman comes up and shoots them. Kevin tried to flee the scene, but he is shot and killed in the street. Sammy survives the shooting, but he gets um, severe damage to a major army in his arm but he does pull through there are five witnesses to the shooting but no one could give the a description of the assailant based on the fact that he was wearing like a black ski mask Mm -hmm. like a cliche criminal yes after the murder so then we get a lot of speculation why why kill kevin was this a payola situation 
where people would pay to record companies usually would pay to get songs artificially put into the charts so they would seem more popular than they were and people would buy them. Was he involved in some sort of payola scandal? What did he refuse to be involved in a payola scandal? And then the cops are like, no, he's not that important. We dismiss that. So then they're like, we think it's a robbery gone wrong because also how would someone know that they would happen to be at Sammy's work at the stop? Like all of this is not a planned outing. Right. They, Sammy didn't plan to stop by his work. They didn't plan to go to dinner and they didn't plan to go to his workplace to use the phone. And it's not something they normally did. No. So it just, this just all happened. And then as they walk back out to the car, they're shot. One of them tragically dies. And then the police are like, look, no offense to Kevin, who seemed like a nice guy, but he wasn't really that important. So we think this is just a random crime. The one thing that they found as evidence was a hat got left in the street that said World War II veteran and damn proud of it, (laughs) which Robert Stack speculates was inside of his coat because he wasn't wearing it and it fell out. I'm guessing that has nothing to do with a crime. That was just laying at in the all. street where that he is landed. Debris. Yeah. That is someone dropped their stupid hat, and then they're like, "We can't even locate the manufacturer of this hat." And I was like, "No one wants to take credit for that hat. <laughs> That's why you don't know who made it." Yeah. That the witnesses didn't see him wearing a hat, so or dropping a hat, or it has, that's nothing to do. with That it. is not evidence. It has nothing to do with anything. So this is resolved. And it is actually the thing that the police dismissed out of hand. It is a payola scandal gone wrong. Yep. But it's because Kevin knew of one. Okay. It's not that he was involved or refused to get involved. It's that his co-worker or former co-worker, Richard D'Antonio, he was taking bribes. Oh, this wasn't in the episode. They this kind of like on. very, they're just like, and it's been solved. Yeah, Bye. they said it was his coworker, but that was it. Yes. So this is, took a while. In 2002, Richard D'Antonio, a disgruntled former employee of Cashbox, was arrested and charged with Kevin's murder. I'm getting this from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, obviously, as I always do. <laughs> Investigators determined that Kevin found out that D'Antonio was accepting money to place artists on the ca- Cashbox music chart list. He also learns that Chuck Dixon, a record promoter at Cashbox, who briefly appeared in the original segment praising Kevin's fairness, was behind the scheme. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Authorities believe that Dixon and... D'Antonio. D'Antonio. <laughs> Richard. D'Antonio? Yeah. I don't... I'm sorry. I'm sure we're mispronouncing I'm... this. Let's just assume I've mispronounced 50% of the words that I've said, <laughs> and you don't need to tell me. Okay. That he had an order to kill Kevin in order to keep him quiet. The witness stated that Dixon said Kevin could be handled or gone and that he could not be able to reveal the truth about the scheme. However, Dixon died in 2001 before charges could be brought to the case. Along with the cash box scheme, other evidence was found connecting this guy Richard to the murder. He matched the description given by a witness, but... I don't even think they had a good description. He was just wearing a hood. It seemed like they had a description at all. No. One witness would notice that he walked with an unusual side-to-side gait, which was similar to how he walked at the time. Side-to-side gait? He had a back problem, and so he walked in a slightly unusual manner. Oh, okay. But is that evidence? 
No, it most certainly is not. <laughs> Here's another thing that is 100% super duper not evidence. Black cat hair found in the hat left at the scene was similar to a cat he had at the time. What? So he had a black cat and a hat was found was in the, the cat street. still around by the time they caught this guy? It doesn't sound like it because years have gone by and they say, yeah, no, there's no way. Oh, my God. Okay. Super duper not evidence. That's not evidence at all. Multiple people owned a black cat. What? <sighs> Gotta calm down for a second. All right. Also, a witness told police that he had sold a 38 caliber pistol to him shortly before the murder. This type of gun was used in the murder. Okay, that's pretty circumstantial. The witness gave D'Antonio ammunition that was the type that was used to kill Kevin. All right. The witness told him, was t- also told police on the day of the murder that he test fired the weapon into the witness's backyard investigators recovered bullets from his backyard and one was determined to have been fired by the same gun that killed Kevin. Okay, the witness, along with D'Antonio's wife, were told to lie about his whereabouts in order to create an alibi. Therefore, investigators did not think he could be the shooter until the witness eventually came forward and told the truth. In September 2003, D'Antonio was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. He was not going to be eligible for parole until 2036. However, he died in prison in September 2014. I found a little bit more information um, about the scheme from an article from the Southeast Missourian called Jury Finds D'Antonio Guilty of Music Row Murder. Okay, this is what it says. Dixon, who is the guy who, the record promoter, allegedly controlled access to independent artist country music singles at the magazine. He was reportedly angry at Kevin Hughes for trying to expose that promoters and artists had paid him to get onto the charts. Witnesses said that D'Antonio was sometimes the bagman for the scheme, collecting bribes ranging to 1500 to 2000 per single. Which probably added up, right? Yeah. Hughes's jobs involved calling radio stations to track airplay, and so he sort of found because he was so dedicated to his work it sounds like he found out like the numbers weren't adding up the numbers from that this guy was providing were not matching the numbers he was actually getting from like radio stations and sales i don't know it's too bad that he was murdered because he was just trying to do the right thing it seems like he was murdered because he did like too good of a job (laughs) he was because and it's interesting because they mentioned so many times in the episode like he was really just dedicated to his work. And Unusually I, so. A lot of people were like, yeah, it's kind of weird how like yeah, honest this guy is. He was really, really dedicated to making those charts right. And I think the point of that was we don't think he was taking bribes. Right. Because, and it turns out he wasn't. And he wasn't. And he actually stumbled upon someone else doing it and was going to do the right thing. You know, there's a find a grave page for Kevin Hughes if you would like to pay to your respects. Pay respects for, for an honest man just trying to make it in this hard world. It was sad that his friend Sammy, I mean, he lived, but it said that he could never play the guitar again because of his injury. He did eventually recover. I found that I found okay. some more information about so him. So he was able to go yes. on. So it took a while. Maybe have a little he bit had of a to have some career. rehabilitation. He okay. ended up re- releasing some songs later on. Oh, good. He was able to regain the use of his arm because it the bullet had damaged a really major artery. And so I think it took a lot of rehabilitation for him to get okay. the use of that back. Oh, good. I'm glad but, for him. Yeah, he did. Um, he said that he had, like, a lot of trust issues after that. Understandably. Totally understandably. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. 
I was like, that's, yeah, not really a reveal. If someone just randomly comes up and shoots you for basically no reason. And your best friend, yeah. Yeah, and you watch your best friend die in the street. Yikes. You are going to have some issues after that. But yeah. we wish the best to Sammy, and I'm glad his arm recovered, and I hope he doesn't have a mullet anymore. I hope so. I'm glad that Kevin got justice as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's It's a weird case because you would be like, no one would kill over that. No one's going to kill over country music chart numbers, right? And the police were like, no way. But I guess, like, this guy killed him because he was about to lose probably his job, lose his source of income, maybe go to jail. Like, Yeah, and also this more powerful guy who sounds like he might have had some mob connections or something got him to do it. Yep. So... So it wasn't just... Yeah, it has, like, some... It seems like it has some connection to organized crime in some way. Yeah. And, yeah, also, yeah, people will kill you to cover up other crimes. So I don't know why they were so... And to save themselves. Yeah. So people have killed for far less. Sorry. Sorry, Kevin Hughes. Dedicated, man. Okay, so our next and final mystery is another lost love. I really like the opening of this. Can we this talk about that? Yeah, this one is really cute. So Robert Sack kind of brags that the show is in closed captioning. So that the hearing impaired can participate. Which, at the time, not every show was, because you had to pay to have someone right. do that for you. It was before you were mandated to do so, so. Yeah, so they were like, oh, we know old people watch this show. We've got closed captioning. Yeah. But it's also a benefit to the hearing impaired. And someone had written in mm-hmm. that they were looking for their dad. And it's so cute. So Robert Sack oh, pulls I'm up. <laughs> not going to cry. Yeah. So we're in the Unsolved Mysteries call center. And Robert Sack says that Unsolved Mysteries is broadcasted with closed captions so that the hearing impaired can also participate. And then he pulls out a piece of paper from his coat. It's a letter from a woman named Patty English, who has been partially deaf since birth. Patty has asked for help locating her father, whom she has not seen for 18 years. And then Robert Stack reads from the letter, which he calls touching because it totally is. He says, I want to hold my dad so much. I remember his feeling love and kindness. It's so cute. I'm just going to sit over here staring out the window and (laughs) frowning. So we get the story of Patty. So Patty's mother, Helen, was 17 years old and pregnant when she married 21-year-old Robert Wilson Miller. But the couple separated before Patty was born. Patty was born premature at just six months, and as a result of her premature birth, she was born partially deaf. I do not envy anything about the situation. Can you imagine being pregnant and married at 17? I know. Awful. And then you get divorced immediately, because guess what? That marriage didn't work out. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, the whole situation is not great. I like that Robert Stack referred to the marriage as doomed. Yes. Because it's not blaming. Right. Like, it's not saying it's this person's fault or that person's fault this marriage failed. It was like, it was in the stars. It was just doomed. This it was, was not going to work the out. The fates would not have it. Yep. And I, I think we should maybe use that term more often. Doomed? Yeah, something something is doomed. I like it. Yeah. This country is doomed. This country is doomed. Just a phrase I threw out there. Yeah. Using it in a sentence. You're like, that's just the first thing that popped into my head. I don't know why. I don't know why. So Patty gets to talk on camera, and they don't subtitle her, which I think is pretty progressive for Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, that's nice, actually. Um, that's a really good point. She says that she was a tiny baby, and that... They said I'd never make it, but I made it, which was hell yeah, Patty. Yeah, so uh, I hope she did it out of spite. I I hope little baby Patty heard a doctor (laughs) say like, 
I'm sorry, ma'am. Your child's just never going to make it. And she was like, fuck you. I'm going to show you. Little tiny new <laughs> premature newborn was like, fuck you, doc. I'm going to make it. I'm going to come back as an adult and slap you in the face. I'm going to make it. And he did. So on the day that Helen brought Petty home from the hospital, Robert was waiting in the house with a crib and a white dress for the baby. And I just put creepy in parentheses. I think Robert is a really nice guy, but don't do this. He like tries, but in these, I don't like misguided ways. Yes. Like you can tell he's making an effort. But sneaking into her house with a crib and a dress. It's and for so the she baby. walks in and she's and just sees like, you. that's nice. She just had a baby. She has this tiny baby in her arms and you're in her house. Don't do that. Yeah, don't. So. Don't. Yeah. And this is where Robert Stuck says that the marriage was doomed. And I'm like, yep. Yeah, sure was. The couple divorced just weeks after Patty's birth. Hmm. So Helen remarried and Patty spent her early childhood thinking that her mother's new husband was her real father. Which is only a shame because he's a huge asshole. One day when she was very young, Patty saw a strange man at the door. The man said that he was Robert Wilson Miller. Patty couldn't hear him, but she could read lips. So she understood that he said, I have a right to see her because she is my daughter. Eventually, Patty's stepfather let Robert in. And in the reenactment, Robert picks Patty up and puts her on his lap. And you can kind of see her being like, what the fuck? Yeah, actually, the fuck are you? That kid is a is a good actor because she really did seem appropriately like, what's going on? Who are you? Uh, I don't really want to sit on a strange man's lap. Thanks. Yeah, and then her stepfather is like, time's up, pal. Yeah, after kicks five seconds. Mm -hmm. But but while he's there, he tells her that he's her daddy and that he loves her, whatever. Uh, So Robert Stack says that. Patty remembers enduring the pain and separation and the loneliness of growing up unloved. Because she mentions this at some point that her mother and her stepfather never hug her. Yeah. It's what awful. the fuck? I know. I was like, I'll hug you, Patty. Come on over. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? It's That's, terrible. I don't. It seems like they showed her no love or affection whatsoever at the at best. Who knows what else went on? Yeah. The fact that this guy can show up for five seconds and, you know, make such an impression, that's not good. No. That's not a good sign. She should have been like, who was that bozo? And then gone back to whatever she was doing and completely forgot. Instead, she remembered this for the rest of her life. Yeah, that's very tragic. I'm getting chills. I hate it. I know. In 1971, when Patty was 12, Robert came to her school and we see a strange reenactment where Robert and his wife come into her classroom and Patty stares at him bewildered while he asks her if she remembers him. And then he said, I'll see you again someday and leaves. Yeah, maybe explain what's going on. I didn't really understand this reenactment because as soon as he leaves, her teacher comes in and then signs to her, that's your real father. And then she's like, oh, and runs after him. I'm like, why couldn't the teacher interpret... From yeah. the, while he was still there. I don't know if this is actually how it went down, but the reenactment made no sense. Also, I don't, maybe, like, not in front of her whole class. Yeah. Like, spring it on her yeah. while everyone's sitting there watching. I, I don't, didn't it, get this. I also didn't really understand why he was, like, allowed into her classroom. Like, they can you said, just show up and be like, hey, I'm her dad? They said he had, like, worked it out with her school, which I'm sure they wouldn't allow now. But it sounded like he knew that... Her mom and stepdad wouldn't want him to so see he, her. So he went around them. So he went around them by calling the school and like working out some sort of weird visitation thing. But they didn't tell her. No. Like it seemed like they knew he was coming. Fucking tell her. Yeah. 
or yeah. someone explain anything to her because then she yeah ends up running out into the parking lot after his car is yeah he's it's just sad he kneels in front of her and is like do you remember me and she just kind of stares at him blankly she has no idea what's going on and also tons of years have passed where has he been all this time and her teacher waits for him to leave before telling like, her oh by the way your that's dad. your real dad so i don't know this makes no sense i hope the she slapped that teacher reenactment was also really sad um Anyway, so Patty endured a traumatic childhood. She eventually ran away from home and ended up at a shelter. A social worker tracked down Patty's father, who came to visit her with his wife. Patty told them that she did not want to go back there, there meaning to her mother's home. Robert told Patty that he would call a lawyer, but a few days later, Patty was sent home to her mother and stepfather. So, yeah. Also, shout out to the social worker who apparently called every Robert Ellis in the phone yeah. books to track this person down. Like, yes. Amazing. Another hero. I salute that person as well. Patty's father promised to visit, and a week later he did, but Patty's stepfather threatened him with a hammer, and so he left. And she's like watching through the screen door, like praying that he won't leave. Oh my God. It's real heartbreaking. For her to be running away at 14, this is something that. It was a bad situation at home. Yeah. Like when you have a 14 year old runaway, you should really be looking into why. Yeah. Not going. Just Ugh. sending them back. They probably ran away. <sighs> so like, we don't yeah. hear much more about Patty's childhood, but her life does improve. And she married her husband, James, in 1977. Um, now Patty wants to find her father and reunite with him and his family. So the resolution is that it was solved moments after the broadcast. Yay! Patty's half-sister, who's also named Patty. That is unacceptable. <laughs> I wrote that. I hate that. It's very weird. Who very named? weird. What? No. It's like he had a second child and then named her Patty as well. I don't like that. So strange. No. So strange. No. <laughs> Which also means when they get reunited... It's like, hey, Patty, here's Patty, your replacement. Oh, my God. It's like new Michelle. Oh, God. It's new Michelle. It's new Patty. It's new Patty. There's this new Patty. And then other Patty is going to be like, wait, so you had me just because you lost contact with your other kid? I'm like the replacement Patty. Yeah, this sucks for everybody. (laughs) Don't do this. Don't do this. So, uh, new Patty saw the broadcast and called the telecenter. Two days later. New Patty. New Patty and oh no, old Patty and her father are reunited. Uh, old Which Patty does. was also reunited with her half sister Patty and other relatives. I don't. The the um footage of the reunion is super cute and it seems like the whole family is very happy and her dad seems normal despite replacing his daughter with another Patty. <laughs> they're sitting around having some hot dogs. Yeah, it looked lovely. Which is acceptable. It seemed like her family they're... was learning sign language. It was yeah. So, so cute. I loved it. I was kind of like, did you never look for your daughter again? Kind of seemed that way. Because she's middle-aged at this point, right? Like... Yeah, I don't... She's been don't out know. of we the really house. We really don't get the story in between. She's not at the house <laughs> with the stepdad with the hammer anymore. Like... Yeah. You... Missed her enough to name your next daughter Patty. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not really sure what, what Look, went on. I appreciate the Patty, original recipe Patty, <laughs> didn't get a lot of love. And so these very brief moments with her real father where she felt his like affection meant a lot to her. And I'm glad they were reunited. And I love Unsolved Mysteries doing a good deed. But I was also like, 
where the hell have you been? Yeah, it's not clear. You just what showed went up on. like every eight years to be like, hey, I'm your dad. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Also, you have a half sister. I gave her your name. <laughs> <laughs> what? So weird. I hope they're very happy now. I hope so. I am really loving these lost love segments because it just seems like such a concrete good thing for Unsolved Mysteries to do. The heartwarming segments are really lifting me up lately, and I'm, I'm enjoying them. I, I wasn't it's sold just, on the lost love segments last season, but I'm really enjoying them this season. Maybe we just like need something good to happen, even if it was something in the past. I think so. I also appreciate that Unsolved Mysteries doesn't sort of gloat. Like, they give the credit to the viewers and the people who call in. They're like, seconds after our broadcast, someone called in and this mystery was solved. They're not like, you're welcome. Unsolved Mysteries does it again. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, some shows that are very emotional, like... Remember that show, Extreme Makeover House Edition? Oh my god, yes. Where they Ty would, Pennington, hello. Where they would find families in these incredibly unfortunate situations, but then build them like crappy mega mansions that probably aren't insulated, but look great on television. Yeah, and then cost too much to heat. And yeah. And then they go into bankruptcy is, Yeah, after the show is over. I also, apparently, those houses are like terribly made. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. not surprised they about just this heating them problem. together. Because it doesn't really matter if they're good or not, no. right? Because to the show, right. it obviously does matter in real life. Mm-hmm. But I feel like something like that is like so manipulative where you're like, oh, look, all these like children are singing in a choir and now they have a tacky mega mansion. Oh, look at this thank wonderful you. thing. Thank DLC you, did for them. DLC. No, that's not the tone of Unsolved Mysteries. Here, they've brought these people together, and they're like, it's because of our viewer tips. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's classy. It's very sweet. And, I mean, it's just... And we kind of have... Like, for these these stories, we kind of do have to go back in time. Because if it was today, she would have just looked up her dad on Facebook. She would just Googled him and then been like, what the fuck? Why didn't you... An Instagram DM or whatever. She would have slid right into his DM. (laughs) Uh, She would have been like, what the hell, man? Where have you been? Where have you been? Who's this other Patty? Yeah. In all I your was photos. 14 the last time you saw me. Granted, my housing situation wasn't great, but you knew in four years I was going to turn 18 and I would be out of there. Didn't hear from you. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> no, I really do wish them the best. Yeah. I know she really wanted her children to meet him and he seems like a flake, but a nice dude. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I want ask Best wishes the, the reenactment of Patty in her classroom do you think those were actual hearing impaired students at a hearing impaired school I don't know because it kind of looked like they had the technology like the it looked like a little yeah sound box around her neck with the headphones I was gonna say I keep bringing up drunk history but the newest season of drunk history includes the history of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, interesting. And in that reenactment they use a lot of people who are actually differently abled. I don't know if they're actors, but they include them as the main characters in the story. Oh, nice. And you just, you never see that. Yeah. That's, they didn't that's, use able-bodied people to portray differently abled people, especially the famous ones who were responsible for getting this act passed and did like actual sit-ins. They didn't get Scarlett Johansson to play all of those parts. Exactly. It was so <laughs> cool. And everyone in the episode did a great job and it was authentic and so sweet. I like cried watching it. It was so good. That's a form of representation that has not been, has not, you haven't seen an increase in television no, movies not at for all. that. And we really should. And it's a damn shame. Yeah. 
So definitely check out this whole, the whole season of Drunk History. I've really been enjoying it's on Hulu. I would highly recommend it. It's the civil rights episode that, oh, cool. that, that one's featured in because people did sit-ins. Yeah. And this the sit-ins for these particular this particular civil rights issue turned into like these crazy parties that look super fun. Samantha, don't you know that you should never go to riots? <laughs> okay. All right. Now it's time for a rant. I've been meaning to tell that story forever, actually. Oh, okay. That once upon a time, oh my god, this is a little over a year ago, Samantha and I went to take a self-defense class. Yep. And then it turned out that we were the only two people that showed up, which is super fucking awkward. Yes, it was. So it was just us and this dude who was really like into it, very much into it. (laughs) If that makes sense, the class was. I thought it was going to be more like moves, like how to kick someone in the nuts real good. And we sort of got that, yeah. but it was so awkward that he kind of like rushed through it. At one point, he put zip ties around our wrists and told us how we could like raise our hands above our heads and then bring them down really hard onto our chest, which I think works great if you don't have breasts. Yeah, that's never going to work for me in one million years. No, I'm gonna spoiler have to- alert, we couldn't do it. <laughs> we couldn't do it. And then he was just sort of like, oh, well. And then just cut it off and then we moved on. Yeah. I'm going to have to, hopefully my mouth isn't duct taped and I can chew through those like a little squirrel. Because that's the only way I'm getting out of those things. We watched a really, half of the class was a PowerPoint. And the one of the memorable moments for me was he posed this like question to the audience that you know he poses to everyone. And it was, <laughs> if you are at an ATM in the middle of the night and someone comes up behind you, what do you do? And I was like, nothing. They're probably just waiting to use the ATM. And you know that everyone who we asked that question to says, oh, you turn around and mace him in the face. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was like, yeah, they're just a person. They're just waiting to use the ATM. Not everyone walks around with paralyzing paranoia. Yeah. Or maybe they do. I don't know. It's kind of startling. This class was sort of encouraging us to walk around with (laughs) paralyzing paranoia. It was all about situational awareness, which is a combination of being paranoid and being slightly racist. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And he ended the class by giving us some... Oh my god! Memorable right. advice. I there. I do not have a poker face at all. <laughs> and there are moments in my life where I'm like, man, I really wish I had like a gif of my face right at the moment something happened. <laughs> Both of our faces. Yeah. Also, Samantha is wearing a T-shirt <laughs> from my favorite murder that said, "Toxic masculinity ruins the party again." This is what she's wearing at this thing that could not have been the more like toxic masculinity. Yeah, set the stage here. Because this guy is going on and on about like noticing whether or not people fit in. It's just like classist, ableist, racist bullshit mm-hmm, to like mm-hmm. profile everyone and determine like it really what was they are, like what they're a up to. Profiling one hundred and one. Yeah, it was not helpful at all. But at the end of the class, the guy was like, "Look, I just can't let you leave here without saying one last thing, which is, don't go to riots." <laughs> What marches were going on at this time? It was this Black Lives sh- Matter, I think. Shortly after the Women's March. It was the same day as the March for Science. And yeah, there's tons of Black Lives Matter and other various protests going on. All very peaceful and civil, I might add. Yes. And he told us not to go to any riots. And I just know my face completely fell into anger and disgust and we were, both of us were just, just like, silent for just a hair too long to be comfortable like, and i was like protests and he was like yeah you just you don't know what's going to happen to those things I, this has nothing to do <laughs> with self-defense nothing no. and they weren't riots they weren't even close to riots i do believe the next day was the march for science and you posted something that was like 
enjoy the riots for science, everyone. <laughs> no one understood the reference. <laughs> yeah, I, why would they? Because we were the only people in this class. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so awkward. It was, and we were just kind of like, so that was the very end of the class. We just... And then we're just there, like, All and then we're right. like, okay, bye. Thanks for the lesson. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know why we went to this thing. I think it was because it like it was free, and like someone put it together for our group, and then even they didn't show up. No, no. We felt like okay, we're gonna go participate in this. It was really nice of you to organize it. I was, maybe we'll get some good oh, advice. Oh, for learning how to like punch someone in elbow the someone nose. in the neck and then flip your fist up, and I don't know. I yeah. thought we were going to learn some cool stuff. He did briefly try and show us, like, how to... He felt so awkward get a, about like, it. Like, disarm someone with a gun? It was... The whole thing was awkward. He did say that... A, a, this is the only thing I learned in this class, so I'm going to pass it on. Ears are really easy to rip off, <laughs> and then the person will go into shock. So, I don't know. If you're being what assaulted... What did he say? It takes eight pounds of pressure to rip off an ear? Yeah. Which you can easily muster. Yeah, so, so you'll if you're fine. in a life or death situation, folks, go for an ear. Rip, rip it right off. Rip off the ears. That's the only thing I learned. It is kind of valuable, I guess. And those are the things that you should learn at self-defense classes. Not complicated moves to, like, get a gun away from someone. Yeah, that was... Because you no one's ever going to remember that. I don't remember it. No, we did But like I remember time. rip off someone's ear. Yeah. So... <laughs> Which I will, if I need to. Or maybe even if I don't. <laughs> oh, God, ew. <laughs> anyway, don't go to riots, folks. Oof. Alright, so we should rate this man, episode. Oh, man. oh, that's what we should be doing. Not talking about this. That's what we should be doing. But. Uh-huh. Okay. So what? Mysteriousness? Yeah, mysteriousness. Super mysterious. What who Thumbs shot way up? Who shot not Carol? Yeah. That never got so did that person ever do that again? I don't know. So weird. Uh the CIA thing. Where did that guy go? Where is dad? See where is CIA dad? And was he really living three miles away? I don't think so. But is he dead? Did he have to go into hiding because his life was in danger? Who knows? Did he just go to Russia as a spy? Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. Yeah. Some, that is a solid mystery. Yeah. I could, this one gets a thumbs up for me. Two thumbs up for mysteriousness. Oh, yeah. Uh, reenactments. I thought they were really good. Yeah, they are good. They were really good. They all tied themselves together really nice. We got, again, some historical footage of the end of World War II beginning of the cold war yeah it was edited together well mm-hmm. um i think all the reenactments were helpful the ones with the dad coming to visit patty are they're fine fine but the other ones were good um fashion kind of unremarkable yeah it was fine yeah it's fine I, I didn't dorothy had some uh, nice yeah her, her hair was nice her hair and her i'll give it a sideways just for dorothy yeah uh uh, Robert Stack. I mean, we don't see much of him. No. And when we do, it's just standard old Stack. So. Yeah, he's, I mean, we see the khaki trench coat, but at this point, it's just par for the course. I mean, if I don't see that in an episode, I'm mad, so. Right. So, I don't eh, know. Meh. Whatever. Okay, we can give it a possible five out of five Robert Stacks. Three and a half? I'm at a, like a 3.5 on this one. It wasn't my favorite. It wasn't my least favorite. For a second, I thought you were going to say 3.3. I was like, that is a very exact. 3.3 Robert Stacks. Number of stacks. But if that's how you feel in your heart of hearts, Samantha, <laughs> I will not argue with you. Uh, no, I, I agree with you at a It's 3. like 5. almost a four, but not quite that good. Yeah, that's how I feel. It's solid. I like, I always like four mysteries, you know. Yep. But And you get a little bit of variety, though. Really, two are lost loves, if you're being honest. 
Uh, one is the investigators. Okay. And one is Lost Loves Lives. But, but at least the la- that Lost Loves involves the CIA, which most Lost Loves don't. <laughs> it's true. So there's a good variety. Um, there's nothing paranormal, if that's what you're looking for. But there has not been a lot of that this season. Unless CIA dad was stolen by a ghost. What if he was abducted? Or abducted by aliens. And they didn't you want know what? They didn't want us to know. That could be it. Was the mysterious man that came to Carol's door, or Dorothy's door, was he Men in Black? A man in black? And that's why they said they had never even heard of him? Maybe. I think we just broke this wide open. <laughs> Listen, last podcast on the left is doing Men in Black right now, and their next episode that comes out next week, the third in the series, is going to include Mothman. What? Just a heads up. And I'm thinking, what was I, that creepy guy's that. name? Uh, Indrid Cold. Indrid Cold. I'm expecting him to make an appearance in that episode of that podcast. I just said that, and now I'm scared. Indrid Cold? Even the name... It makes, kind of makes oh, my heart beat faster. It's so creepy. I for, almost forgot about Injured Cold because I am just in love with Mothman. Like, <laughs> Mothman is my crush. I think there's a lot more to the Mothman of Point Pleasant when it comes to Men in Black, and I'm looking forward to hearing that podcast yeah, to be learn more. Because y'all know we love Mothman. Oh, Mothman. He's so real and dreamy. <laughs> and he's trying to warn us about some shit, and we're just not listening. I think so. All right, so that's that's it. Um, recommendations. Yes, I wanted to recommend a organization that I find inspirational this week. Oh, how nice! Which is Snack Block <laughs> in Portland. Okay, okay. It is an organization that provides snacks for protests. What? Yes, that's amazing. You know we love our snacks here. At Perhaps it's oh, you. Oh yes. And sometimes we go to riots, so. This seemed like the perfect synergy. Oh, yeah. This sounds great. I didn't even know this exists. You can find it on Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's Snack Block without the K. I think PDX for Portland. Um, they provide snacks and, like, groceries and, like, medical supplies. I think they sometimes have medics at protests. They've been very involved lately in Occupy Ice. I'm more bringing it up you can like buy things off their amazon wish list if you want to directly support them they need like cutting boards and whatever just like supplies um but they also say that get in touch if you're interested in starting something like that in your area i think it's just a really it just it gets me right in the heart of like yes that is such a like great effective way to do something concrete that is helpful and support protests but also just like make sure people are getting fed because i'm worried about everybody these are stressful times and it makes me feel very maternal and i want everybody to drink their water and i want everybody to take the effort to make themselves food and it's a struggle just to get through things right now and we all have to help each other out i will say so we went to the keep families together march Yes. And it was at two in the afternoon, like the hottest day of the year. It was the amount of people walking around with little wagons full of snacks and water and sunscreen. One guy had a bag of lozenges he was handing out to everybody. <laughs> For people that were chanting. Yes. It, it was, was the sweetest very heartwarming thing ever. Plus the kid with who made his own sign that said Trump is a bum. Oh my god. Shout out to that kid. So cute. That just kid's a hero. Little kid handwriting. He literally made his own sign yeah, and it said just Trump is a bum. <laughs> Oh my! Everyone was stopped to take pictures of it. It was so good. It was so cute. Um, yeah, I think these have been distressing times, as we brought up 
so much on this podcast. But because if you look around, you'll see things like that where people are just coming together to help people each other out in small ways that really snacks. make a meaningful difference. So just giving would... someone a lozenge at a protest just can really I mean, bring people man, together. Oh man. So cute and lovely. I know. I, yeah. So my recommendation, sure, support Snack Block because they seem great. Or start your own snack block. That would be even more amazing. But just find some concrete, even if it seems very small, ways to help and make a difference and support your community. Because, yeah, not only is it dark right now, I don't want me want to be super bleak. But even if we get Trump out of office, guess what? Not everything's going to be magically fixed. We've got some very serious systemic problems. Yeah. So we're in for a long haul. We gotta, we gotta stick together. We gotta stick together. We gotta keep spirits up, and you gotta drink your water. Go drink some water right now. I'm worried about you. Get some polar blueberry lemonade, seltzer water. Get some Lacroix. Whatever you need. Just yeah, you know, you're worth the effort to take some time and make some food and make sure you're taken care of. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Liz. <laughs> yes, really. So thank you, Snack Block. Keep up the good work. That's awesome. It's so awesome, and yeah, I just love it. That's all. Me too. Support Snack Block. Share your snacks. I will say. <laughs> send us some snacks. Send up some snacks. While we're on the subject. I will say that when I went to the Women's March here in Minnesota, which I know there's some controversy around that protest, but it was very inspiring to me and I don't know, whatever. It was a, it was a nice day of everybody coming together mm-hmm. right after the inauguration and feeling like maybe we won't all die. But I brought a big bag of granola bars and tried to hand them out to everyone. Could I get anyone to take them? No, because it was an pretty much all women. Guess what? Everyone had a giant bag of granola bars <laughs> because we were prepared to be he- we were prepared to be there all day and we were prepared to be helpful and take care of each other. So everybody was like, "Oh, I don't need any snacks because I brought an entire backpack of snacks." Like every single person. And I was like, "I was like, yes, we're prepared. We're gonna do this." That's what happens when a bunch of ladies get together? Yeah, you guys. we're all very prepared. Not only did people knit their own hats. But they they all came with bags a, of snacks. A backpack of water bottles and snacks for other people. And that's so nice. It's, it's really the sweetest thing ever. Okay. So I decided to do something different this week for my yes. recommendations. I posted in our Facebook Great group. Great idea. Go look for our Facebook group on Facebook, obviously. Um, we try and interact with you guys as much as we can. I put a call out for things you guys are enjoying lately because I wanted to recommend something from you. From the five. To give you, yes, the five. And we got, I'm going to tell you, more than five recommendations. So I'm not going to be able to read That's them all. That's weird. I don't know how that happened. I picked two that were different than things we've normally recommended. And I may throw some of these out there in the future as well. The first one I want to say was recommended by KT. That's K and a T. This person says that this is a non-traditional recommendation, but I love spreading the word when I can. My recommendation is GoodRx.com. It's a website and app where you can enter your prescriptions and find the closest and cheapest options. Oh. So someone had also commented that they've used this before when they didn't have insurance and it saved them hundreds of dollars. That's amazing. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So it's GoodRx.com. Love it. And it seems really easy to use. If you go to their About Me or About Us page, um, it talks about how you know, prescription prices are not regulated, so they can vary, you know, wildly, and that you really need to be able to shop around to get the best prices. But how are you going to do that? Especially when you need a prescription, probably to live. Yeah. You don't really have the luxury well, of going like, price shopping. you, turn it shopping. in to the pharmacy, and then when you go to pick it up... It's just whatever price it is. Yeah, they don't... You don't know that ahead of time, and then you've already given away your prescription. Yep. 
So they say that they feature over a million prices for more than 6,000 drugs at every major U.S. pharmacy chain and many local stores. They have prices from all major U.S. pharmacy chains and online pharmacies. They have information on manufacturer discount cards, free coupons, um, information on ways to save with coupons. So go check them out, even if you're just looking for some ways to save. Um, They alert you so you can be aware when drug prices change. So if you have a drug that you're on, you can set up an alert so it will tell you, um, hey, this has gone up a lot. Um, It seems extremely easy to use. You just go to the homepage and you type in the drug. It'll even help you spell it right. So if you're not sure how to spell it, because a lot of these drugs are spelled very weirdly. They're just, they're just made of words. They'll they help you with that. Anything. So you can go and it'll tell you either the closest pharmacy to you that carries it or the cheapest or both. So check this out. It seems like a really good resource. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really it's good It's a suggestion. shame that we need something like this. Oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a sign of a, a terrible society that yeah, fails. The people... What? Yeah. <laughs> but... So unfortunately, that's the situation we're living in. You this don't might have be a insurance or if... Your insurance is not fully covering your medication, which I know is true in a lot of cases. Yep. If you're on Medicaid, Medicare, those plans have gotten really complicated and there's a ton of loopholes. Mm-hmm. So This could be a resource that could help you save some money. Um, the other thing I want to recommend is a website that looks super awesome and it's called Ex Libris Anonymous. I will link all of these in the show notes and they'll also be on our website perhapsitsyou.com, we have a recommendations page, so you can go there to find the direct links. This is a company that makes journals out of old books. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looks super awesome. So they're uh, unique journals from things like, I see one on here that's a woodworking textbook. There's a lot of Dr. Seuss books. They use acid-free paper. It seems like really high quality it's just a way of recycling old books and mm-hmm. making them into notebooks. They're really cool. It says that they've been building delightful handmade journals since 2000. Uh, they're currently located just off the banks of the muddy Columbia River. Our studio can be found in the lovely and damp city of Astoria, Oregon. And if you go to their homepage, you can see all of the journals. They just look super cool and collectible. I'm thinking about starting a garden journal. So I have been like oh, journaling yeah. about the progress of my gardens and things, and I've so I've been keeping my eye out for sort of a garden-related book with a that's made out of a journal. So I just thought this was a co- super cool recommendation. Sarah recommended that one. They also support many causes. She said that she's gotten discounts by pr- proving that she donates to the Brady campaign against gun violence, and she donates to Planned Parenthood. So you can get some discounts if you tell them that you support those hmm. causes. Nice. Um, it just seems like a cool company and it's really unique. I love journals. I bullet journal, so I always appreciate a good journal, especially a unique one. Um, yeah, and I just thought they were super cool. And I love talking to you guys about these things because I learn cool shit. Like, the, yeah. I didn't know that either one of these things existed. So, super awesome. We appreciate everybody's feedback and... Yeah. It's nice to hear from people and see the fan art or even just, you know... Your, Share something. Your five-star reviews. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really enjoying having this Facebook group. It's really fun to interact with you guys. Someone, I can't remember who, posted a picture of a green fly on their trash can and said, oh no, people are going to find out about my dead bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Just things like that are fun. I think it's really funny to see how this show, because Unsolved Mysteries covers such a wide variety of topics, but then also we just go on weird tangents. So many different things have come up, and now... We've infiltrated all levels of your lives, <laughs> even your flies. 
even the flies. Everything you won't be able to like, see a fly without thinking about us now. Yeah, even your cheesies, your gourmet gummy bears. I'm clearly just thinking about snacks again. Oh, and I'm getting hungry. Yeah. All right. I it's think probably that's time to wrap it up. Then all we have. Should we plug our stuff? Yes. So you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. Join our Facebook group. Everyone's welcome. It is the Perhaps It's You podcast official, unofficial yeah. something. It's the only one that if you search for it, you'll find we it. We have it pinned on our Facebook page yeah. as well. Check it um, out. If you want to email us your paranormal tales, your spooky stories, your interactions with Robert Stack, anything that you would like us to read in our season two finale, which is coming up fast. Send it to us. Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. I'll say once again that if we, you don't get a response from us, it doesn't mean we didn't get it. It just means that we are trying to save your story for the show. We want to be surprised. Yeah. We're so thank you to everyone who sent stories in. the first time then. And keep them coming. We want some more so we can have a jam-packed episode. If you have an update on new Michelle... No, no, don't that. That's too scary. <laughs> it's gonna give me nightmares. If you saw the little brown bird at the state fair, tell us. Definitely want to hear about that. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen the little brown bird at the state Haven't fair. Haven't we all? Uh, I think. Oh, Patreon.com/slash Perhaps It's You is where you can go to donate and receive some bonus content. Yeah, now that you got hooked from that one episode, we give you a sweet, sweet taste. Little, little gateway drug right oh, there. Yeah. Is that, that it? I think that's it. Is, is it gonna end with going? Oh take- yeah. <laughs> Now we, oh, we're going to eat snacks and take naps now. That sounds great. And we hope you're having a great day. Bye. Get out there and solve some mysteries, bitches.